blown away about how cool people are and how, you know, and I just always, I, every meeting I leave, I'm like, oh my gosh, like we're going to make this work. Like this is good. We're going to be okay. Like the world is not going to implode. <laughs> and it just, it just gives me so much hope and so much, um, so much inspiration. You are listening to Stories for the Future, Season 2. Stories about fixing our future and about big changes in career and life. Stories about being a beginner and daring not to always know the answer from the start. And stories about creating the best everyday life that we can. My name is Veselma Klavnes Berge and in this season I will be talking about connecting changes. I hope you will join me as I go out in the world and talk to people who are making positive changes for themselves, for other people, and for the planet. Welcome! Today's guest is Caitlin Southwick. She's the founder and executive director of Key Culture, and Surprise, surprise, she is also a climate reality leader. Caitlin is a conservator. And if you as me don't immediately know what that is, you can, as she says herself, think of her as an art doctor. Those who typically work in museums to preserve all the things we like to go and watch. She has worked in so many exciting places around the world, like the Vatican Museum and on Easter Island, and you will hear more about that very soon. So yes, I know this episode is a bit too long. I keep telling myself I should aim for 45 minutes or thereabout, but that is so hard. And especially when my guests, like Caitlin today, has so much interesting and relevant stuff to share. And actually, I listen to quite a few podcasts myself, which are much longer than one hour. And what I do is I just split them up and listen to them as I would listen to an audiobook, for instance. So that is my recommendation for you. If it's too long for your walk or your run or dishwashing or whatever, just save the rest for later. Because you really don't want to miss the last part. Just two days prior to our conversation, there was this storming of the Capitol in Washington, D.C. And after having watched that and knowing how strange that felt for me, I have been wondering what feelings and thoughts American people must have had related to that event. I'm so happy that Caitlin agreed with me that these things should be talked about, even if they might be a bit uncomfortable, especially these days. And this is not only relevant to American politics, but to so many other issues in the world where we are tempted to look at things in black and white, right or wrong. Okay, now I'm only making this episode longer, so we will jump right in. Here is my conversation with Caitlin Southwick. Today I'm sitting here with Caitlin Southwick from Key Culture. Hello, Caitlin, and I'm so happy to speak to you again. Hello, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. 
It's great. We we got in touch uh, through the Climate Reality Project, uh, and this is Al Gore's uh, fantastic effort to train people in spreading awareness about climate change. And we will get back to this later in, in our talk. Uh, but uh, I think that one of the uh, I think that people will notice that I have a lot of climate reality leaders on this season. And one nice. of the main reasons for that is that uh, I have uh, I have gotten in touch with so many people doing great uh, work uh, all over the world uh, through this network. So that is uh, that is the main reason. Uh, so first, we need to know a little bit about you. Could you please share a little bit about who you are and where you are and why. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So, yeah, so um, I, I have kind of a, a long story about who I am, but um, as you may hear from my accent, I'm originally from the United States. I was born and raised in Colorado, but I've lived in a lot of different places. So I did my undergrad in Boston, and then I lived in LA for a couple of years, and then I lived in Hawaii for a couple of years, and then I jumped ship and moved to Europe. And I uh, lived in Italy for three years, in the UK for a year, and then I moved over to the Netherlands, where I've been based for the past five years, but I also since then have jumped around and moved to back to LA for a little while and also to Rome and worked at the Vatican. And now I'm back in Amsterdam and I think I'm going to stay put for about five minutes. We'll see how long that lasts. <laughs> so um, yeah, so I've moved around a lot um, and I've done a few different things, but basically my background is in art conservation. So um, I'm a conservator by trade. For those of you who don't know what that is, we're basically like art doctors. So um, we've been trained in doing diagnostics and then repairing or restoring um, works of art. And my specialization is stone conservation. And I have been incredibly fortunate to have a really amazing career. Um, I've worked on some of the most exciting projects I think exist. I was part of the first envoy to go restore the Moai statues on Easter Island, uh, Rapa Nui. Um, I've worked at the Uffizi Gallery. I've worked at the Getty Conservation Center. I've worked at the Vatican Museums. So I've had a lot of uh, a lot of good luck with my with my career in terms of the opportunities I've had. Um, but being from Colorado, I'm a mountain girl and I'm incredibly passionate about the environment. You know, I grew up in a neighborhood that didn't have fences and that had, you know, deer and elk and mountain lions in my backyard. And I, you know, have been very fortunate that I've had that personal connection with nature since I was, since I was a little girl. And, um, I've always been, you know, very conscientious about, sustainability, environmental sustainability in my life, um, having had this, this very personal passion for, for nature. And when I was, when I was young, I remember I was looking over the, over the view, we had this beautiful view of the entire city of Denver, which is the capital of Colorado. And I, one day I was looking at the, at the city view and it was, it was midday and it was a clear, beautiful day. And the entire city was covered in this brown cloud. And I mm. asked my dad, I said, what is that? And he said, that's pollution. Oh. And I was like eight years old, I think. And it, I was shocked. I, I, I said, how is that possible? And he said, well, it's all of the cars and the buildings and that's pollution. So, well, that's horrible. And he said, it is horrible. And I said, well, what can we do about it? Like, can't we like take a vacuum and suck it up or something? Um, and he said, well, eventually the wind will blow it away. And I said, well, thank goodness. That's great. He said, well, not really. And, um, 
And um, my eight-year-old brain, I'm sure my father's uh, explanation was a little bit more advanced, but my eight-year-old brain kind of understood from what he said that the wind then blows the pollution down to the, to the southern um, part of the world, and then it burns a hole in the ozone layer, and then that hole gets bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously the sun's rays come in more and more strongly, mm-hmm. and then we're all going to die. <laughs> he mm. obviously didn't say that, but that was kind of what I took. And so I was, that was like my first introduction, I guess, to the concept of climate change and how pollution is affecting our climate. And it made a huge impact on me. Um, so much so that uh, just actually, I think it was a few months afterwards, I had the opportunity to go to the White House and um I was doing a tour. My godfather was a friend of uh, President Bill Clinton. And um, and so we were doing a tour of the White House. And my dad told me to write a letter to the president, just in case for some reason we bumped into him and I had a chance to give it to him. Um, so mm-hmm. I said, well, what am I supposed to write a letter about? He said, well, write about what you would like to see changed. Like, you know, politicians are interested in what kids are interested in. So write about what interests you. And so I wrote a letter to President Clinton and I said, I would like you to fix the pollution. And, um, and so I actually did get a chance to meet him and I handed him my letter and he read it. And um, I, and he said, you know, thank you so much for bringing this up. You know, it's a very important issue for us as well. And a couple months later, um, I got a letter back in the mail that said, you know, uh, more officially, you know, dear Caitlin, thank you for visiting. Thank you for your letter. Just want to let you know that Vice President Al Gore and I are doing everything we can to stop the pollution. And, um, um, you know, I always like to take credit for an inconvenient truth. Clearly, it was my letter that (laughs) I'm obviously obviously kidding. (laughs) I'm obviously kidding. I mean, I, you know, Vice President Al Gore was on top of this way before I was, but uh, <laughs> but was, this is a good. great story. Wow, yeah, yes. you were eight years old. I was at eight that years time? old. Yeah, I was oh, eight wow. years old, so I was very young. Um, but you know that that passion has has you know always stayed with me. And as I said, I've always tried in my personal life to be conscientious about what I do. And um, you know, as an art conservator, I felt I felt this this kind of fit really easily with my values because, you know, art conservation is about preserving history and culture for the future. And that's why I did it. I mean, I was fortunate enough that when I was young, I was able to travel around Europe and go to, you know, the biggest, best museums and experience all of this artwork firsthand. And it made a huge impression on me. And I love history. I love art. I love the idea of preservation. And so this was like, you know, everything in one. And I was so excited about it. And, but I was, uh, so I studied in Italy for three years and then I moved to, to the UK to start working on my master's. And that's when I really put two and two together about how environmentally damaging art conservation actually is. And, oh, tell uh, well, you know, I, I know it's, it's quite shocking. No one ever thinks about yeah. it. First of all, you don't walk into a museum and think about, you know, oh, these works of art need to be, you know, preserved. So who does that? That's one thing, you know, who knew that was a job. But the other part of it is you never walk into a museum and think, I wonder what the carbon footprint of this place is. No. And it's quite shocking because it's really high. A lot of museums Mm -hmm. have the same carbon footprint as a hospital, for example. Um, And the reason for that is because conservators (laughs) are the ones telling museums that you have to keep your temperature and relative humidity 
at specific ranges in order to mm. best preserve the collections. Additionally to that, we produce a ton of waste, um, you know, between the disposable nitrile gloves that we use and all of the foam that we use to cut things and store things. Um, art transportation has a huge carbon footprint as well as waste footprint. Um, and then we use a lot of toxic chemicals that's called solvents in our work mm-hmm. um, to clean artworks. I mean, I was, it was about, I guess it was four years ago, I was doing um, a conservation project at a historic house here in the Netherlands. And I was sitting outside this gorgeous historical house and I was cleaning these two beautiful marble sculptures. And I was just pouring this super toxic biocide over them to kill the biological growth that, of course, is damaging to the stone. But then that just runs right into the ground and, and you know, into the water and the streams. And, you know, I see the dogs eating the grass. And I'm just like, this is not okay. Like, this is just not okay. And I found myself really struggling with... um continuing my work in the way that it was being done. And so I was looking for answers on how I could be greener in my job and I couldn't find anything. And so I decided to start something and I thought, you know, I I bet you anything that like someone out there has the answers. We just don't know about it. It must be, you know, in Australia, I'm sure they've got this under control. Like they probably know all the great solutions for it. And so I started just kind of a Facebook network um, to get people to exchange ideas and, you know, ask questions or share their best practices. And it it was amazing to me how much traction I got. Um, You know, it it started off, um, I think, like within three months, we had 400 followers or something, but no one was posting anything <laughs> except for me. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm not the expert on this. I don't know what to do, but this, then it, this is what I realized. Like, okay, there's a real desire for this. Like people care. People want to be more sustainable. They just clearly don't know how. I mean, like, like me, I was in the same boat. I wanted to be sustainable. I wanted to be greener. I just didn't know what to do. And um, so kind of fast forwarding, um, this this organization was called Sustainability and Conservation, and it still exists. It's a branch of my current company, Key Culture. And um, through my work at SIC, I was then invited to be a member of the Working Group on Sustainability for the International Council of Museums. And uh, ICOM is the largest international body of museums in the world. They're kind of the authority on museums, if you will. And so I was so thrilled that they were going to be working on sustainability. And um, but then it was it was through my work at ICOM that I really saw that you know it's not just conservation that has this issue; it's museums, and actually it's the entire cultural sector, um, galleries, mm-hmm. artist studios, um, you know, archaeologists, architects. There's all of these opportunities for us to be practicing greener. But one of the problems is, is that it's such a niche market and it has such particular and unique needs that there wasn't anyone who was focusing on it full time. And so I, I spent um, the last three years of my master's and my doctorate doing research into what people thought they needed, like what would be helpful for them to be more sustainable. And, um, and I also started kind of expanding my definition of sustainability. I think, you know, Western concept of sustainability, first thing you think about is climate change. Um, mm-hmm. But if you talk to someone in Brazil, the first thing that they'll talk about is social justice. And yes. so I started looking more into the sustainable development goals, the SDGs, and how everything's so interconnected. 
and really expanding my understanding of what this was. And so um, I, when I finished my doctorate, I thought, you know, no one's doing this full time. We need someone who's doing this full time. Um, this nexus of culture and sustainability not only is so important for being able to make the sector more sustainable, but you know, the unique opportunity that culture offers to educate people about sustainability. I mean, it's one of the last sources of trusted information in the world. You don't walk into a museum and look at a painting and say, oh, I don't think that's a Rembrandt. Like, <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it's, you know, yeah, you, you walk into yeah. a museum and you just know that the, fa- the things that you're reading on the walls are facts. This is truth. This is not propaganda. This is not fake news. This is not, you know, government, whatever. It's, it's, True. And so if every museum in the world had an exhibition on climate change, how impactful could that be? So um, so this, this is how key culture kind of came to be, was this idea that we need someone who can um, you know, bring together all of the amazing work that's going on out there, um, you know, start promoting sustainability not only within the sector, but also outside of the sector and start finding the expertise and the solutions that we need and really uh, promote using it and doing it. So, yeah. Yeah. so uh, you're, you're a nonprofit, right? Yes, that's correct. Yes. Uh, how, how long have you existed? Uh, so we were registered as an organization in November 2019, and we officially became a nonprofit in January 2020. So we're still quite young. Um, yeah, it's it's really kind of amazing. I think about uh, you know we're only we've only been around for a year. 14 months and <laughs> how much I, I always tell my team I'm like this time last year it was just myself and Georgina Georgina is my director of operations mm-hmm. you know sitting at a co-working space in Amsterdam th- figuring out okay how do we you know create a website and okay we need mm-hmm. a newsletter like you know just figuring out what on earth we're trying to do here and now I have a team of over 45 volunteers from all over the world um you know from Hong Kong to Rwanda to Brazil to Canada And I mean, just so much support and we're rolling out our first key book on Monday. And I'm just like, you know, I, I had a meeting with my team last night and I was just like, you know, it's just, I get emotional. It's like watching all of my dreams come true. And it's just amazing how, how excited people are about it. Great. Uh, so what, um, give, could you give us an example of what, how you work with with museums and what what is it you do and for instance what is a key book the key books that's a good question yeah. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely absolutely and i think um it's it sounds a little complicated but i'm trying to make it as simple as possible um you know because there's i think that's one of the problems with sustainability is that people feel like it's this kind of intangible concept that's floating around in the air somewhere that's like you know somewhere in the in the maybe distant or not too distant future but it's not here it's not now it's not actionable tangible it's not related to me in my daily life and especially in people's jobs. Um, you know, I know so many people who are very passionate about sustainability and they do all of these wonderful things at home, but then they go to their job and they do their job yeah. and they don't think yeah. about, you know, Oh, what no. the carbon footprint is of, of leaving their computer on at the office or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So basically at key culture, as I said, we basically have two missions and the first one is to make the sector more sustainable. So that's everything from greeting operations to implementing circular solutions to, um, you know, dealing with decolonization, repatriation. So SDGs in culture. 
And then the second aspect is that more outward facing part. So the, um, the idea of using culture to educate the public on sustainability. So, you know, working with different organizations to create various themed sustainability exhibitions and outreach and education programs and these types of things that we can actually um, use the influential position of culture to inspire people and, um, and, you know, show them that they can make a difference and that there is hope there. Um, so our, our big program that we're launching this month is called Key Futures. And that is really starting with that first mission. So this is basically everything that I wanted when I was a practicing conservator in order to be sustainable. Um, mm. So, you know, this is, as I said, I've been kind of doing research and developing this program for the last six years now. And it's, you know, surveys and interviews with different stakeholders and different professionals and kind of collecting like data about what's out there and what's needed. And I put all of that together and tied it up with a nice little bow and came up with key futures. So the backbone of key futures are our key books, uh, which I mentioned previously. Mm-hmm. And okay. those are basically your step-by-step how-to guides on how to be sustainable. Um, Ah. you know, when I was a conservator, I wanted someone to just hand me a book that told me what to do. Uh, I, you know, a lot of people in the professionals in the cultural sector don't have that much time to, you know, go out and do research and find solutions themselves. So we want to make it easy. We want to bring solutions to them. And Mm -hmm. so, and the other, the other issue, of course, I've noticed is that there is so much information out there, but a lot of it is either not specific to the cultural sector or it's a little bit difficult to understand because it's still in that technical sustainability jargon. Um, Mm. You know, there's, I know that there's this really phenomenal guide on how to, you know, deal with HVAC systems, which are the heating, ventilation, and air conditioning systems. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, a huge source of, of energy consumption. Um, but it's 150 pages <laughs> and it's, you know, it's all text. And I, I, I mean, this is my full-time job and I can't get through that thing. <laughs> I, you know, and I've just noticed everyone is so busy and, you know, this is, this is a whole another tangent we could go on, but, um, you know, people have full-time jobs and, you know, 500 things that they're volunteering for and a thousand other responsibilities and families and all of this. And so, you know, people don't have time to go out and figure out what the best solutions are. So we want to bring them to them. And so the idea behind the key books is that they are action-packed solutions. So it's really about making it simple, straightforward, and applicable to cultural heritage and to culture. Mm. So, um, you know, it's it's very visually engaging. They're interactive PDFs. Um, they will be freely available to download off of our website. So check out keyculture.org, and um, you, can, you can download one. At the first one's coming out on Monday. That will be Wasted Materials. Um, and then on the following Monday on the, what is that? The 18th, we'll be releasing, um, social sustainability. And then the following week on the 25th, we'll be releasing energy. And so those are the first three, um, for this year. And then we're going to start developing the next four, which will be released in 2022. And those will include, uh, indigenous relations and traditional knowledge, education and outreach, water and exhibitions. 
And um, so basically the idea is that we have these themed guides where people can just open it and say, I want to be more sustainable. Oh, here's something I can do. Step one, two, three, done. I finished. I'm awesome. Moving on. What's next? Um, So we're really trying to make it super accessible and super actionable. And so, as I said, the key books are basically the backbone of the program. And then key futures is everything you need to help implement the actions from the key books. Um, you know, no matter how brilliant and amazing you are, at some point, you're going to have a question <laughs> or mm-hmm. you're going to need some support or you're going to need some inspiration. Um, so Key Futures is all of that. So Key Futures offers um, our key coaches who are basically your on-call sustainability consultants. Um, so if you have a question, you can call your key coach and they can help you answer the question or find the right partnership or, you know, figure out what the regulations are in your local area. Um, Some of the issues, of course, especially when it comes to waste streams, is that it's so different in every part of the world. So Mm -hmm. it's really really difficult to write a book that is globally applicable about recycling, for example. And by the way, recycling, last resort, just giving that a little uh, stipulation there. (laughs) Yeah. but, you know, that's that's usually what people go to. They think, oh, I've got this. Can I recycle it? And so this, yes. the Waste Materials Key book really goes into why that's your last resort and all of the other amazing things you can do instead. Um, but if you do get to the point where you need to recycle something, you know, it's it's different here in Amsterdam that is in Rotterdam. So how are you supposed to know, you know, what you can recycle? So that's what the key coach is there for. They're local, regional experts who can help answer your questions and also facilitate local networks. So they host meetings once a month so that all of the key champions from the area can get together and share what they're doing and get inspired by each other and ask questions and create a local network. Um, We also are going to have trainings um, offered. So the trainings will, the basic trainings will follow the themes of the key books, and then we'll have an addition, we'll have additional specialized training. So this year we'll all, we'll be of course doing the three themes from the key books, but we'll also offer uh, a training on accessibility, um, a training on circularity and a training on um, green exhibitions. And then um, also included in the Key Futures program are our toolkit, which is basically, you know, additional guides and resources. We have a you know, uh, climate communication guide. So how to talk about climate with your peers, with your visitors, with each other. Um, we have a PR kit so that people can actually, you know, learn how to publicize all the incredible work that they're doing. Um, so these types of, of additional resources. So, um, yeah, so this is key futures kind of in a nutshell. Uh, <laughs> I hope it makes sense. Yes, it does. And it sounds fantastic. And I think that people working in all other sectors would be really, would really like to have kind of the same thing for their sector, like just a recipe book. Yeah. So, but it sounds like, it sounds like a lot of work. Yeah. You said you had, you had quite a few uh, volunteers, but you also have quite a big team or how many people are you well this this has been um kind of an interesting situation so at key culture we have about i think i think it's over 45 now um Mm -hmm. on our on our team but everyone right now is a volunteer we only have one paid employee and that's not me by the way (laughs) um I'm I'm incredibly impatient, as you may have noticed. And so when I started Key Culture, I just jumped in with both feet and blindfolded. Um, I didn't really take the time to get like the financial stuff set up. So we've been just kind of 
blowing through this and and making it happen. And um, so that basically, you know, it's it's been tricky. I'm sure everyone has experienced this, of course, with COVID, you know, to find funding for these types of things. Um, but it's it's basically what we've decided to do is that in order to make key culture financially sustainable, um, the key books are free, but the key uh, futures program will be based on a subscription fee. And what we're hoping is because we are a nonprofit, we can actually find alternative means of funding for institutions to participate. So, uh, for example, right now we're in conversation with the National Council of Museums and Monuments in Nigeria, talking to them about finding a grant to get all of their museums to participate in the program. What we need is we need global sector-wide change, and we need it now. And so that's the idea behind Key Futures, is that we want to empower the people who are already working at the institutions who want to be sustainable to be able to do so. We don't want to be a consultancy that has that changes one institution at a time. We want everyone to change at the same time together collectively. So, um, and we want to, you know, not be us doing all the work, but I think, I think that that's one of the other really big things that um, we're hoping to accomplish with key futures is that, Instead of having this model of consultancy where one person goes in and makes all of these changes and then leaves and, you know, the daily life of the curator and the conservator isn't altered at all, but the museum is functioning, you know, more energy efficiently, uh, we want to integrate change within the entire institution. We're hoping that, you know, by empowering the people who are already working there, who already have the passion for this, who already want to do something to start making changes, then they can inspire their colleagues. And then this kind of ripple effect of, Mm -hmm. you know, getting people to start thinking and acting more sustainably and, you know, create this culture of sustainability within organizations. So that's, that's, I think the, the end goal is that, you know, this will, this will, permeate the institution and not just the institution but you know then the world yes <laughs> can you can you give us a sense of how you feel that this is spreading now uh globally and and what kind of impact do you feel that you're having oh man already well it's i mean it's it just it kind of like makes me giddy inside i was so i was uh One of my team members, this is a fun example. One of my team members is a woman by the name of Morgan, and she's a uh, conservator at the British Library. And Mm -hmm. she got involved with Key Culture because she actually took my professional development course that we offered um, in 2020. And she was so inspired by it that she went back to her work and she started a green team at the British Library. And she then reached out and told me that she did that and then said that, you know, it was because of my professional development course and it was because of the work that we're doing at Key Culture. And then she said, I am so inspired by this. I want to get involved. And so now she's our, she's our newsletter um, editor. And it's, Ah. you know, I, I was just like, oh my gosh, like this, this exists because of, because of us. And that's amazing. And last night we were on our team meeting and she said that she was um, speaking with a few conservator friends in the UK who weren't at, at the BL, but at other institutions. And she had, and they brought up the key books and they were saying how excited they were for them. And Morgan was like, oh yeah, did you guys know that I actually volunteer with key culture and I know Caitlin <laughs> and I'm, they were like so impressed. And Morgan was telling me this story and I just like, I just got like beat <laughs> red. I was and so like, Oh my God, this is so amazing. Like people know who we are and they're, they're excited about the stuff that's coming out. And, um, 
yeah. And so that's like, I'm, I'm just super, super excited about it. And, um, I, I'm really hoping that these key books will be able to help people and, you know, start us off on the right path and, and get things yeah. up and running. So uh, do you, do you remember when we talked, uh, the, the first time we talked, uh, we talked about, uh, this kind of the bubbles that we are in and you told me about you, maybe that was before key culture. I'm not sure, but you, you traveled quite globally and, and gave talks and things like that and you you kind of met the same people everywhere that you went uh, if you went somewhere in Europe or in Oslo or in Australia it was the same people coming so in a way it's the same bubble do you feel that the work that you're doing now kind of has the potential of reaching out of that bubble that kind of sustainability people yeah I, yeah no but I, I think that's really well said and a really good point um and i i hope so <laughs> that's the goal mm-hmm. um you know I, I we were talking about this and this has been something that i've been kind of touting over the last few months is this bubble and what i always tell people is that you know especially in my sector sustainability is a bubble within a bubble within a bubble you've got you know cultural you've got culture and then you've got cultural heritage and they've got museums and they've got these like 10 people that deal with sustainability <laughs> and it yeah. is it's a club and it yeah. you know we all sit around and talk about how important it is and we're all doing phenomenal work i mean i do not want to you know um disregard what my colleagues are doing because they're all doing absolutely incredible things um but it's it's like it's stuck in this bubble and i think that it's so important that we pop that bubble and get the sustainability thing out there to everybody and part of that i think is communication um you know, one of the reasons that I wanted Key Culture to be a nonprofit organization and to be very global is because I, I really was hoping, I'm, I am hoping, and I'm hope, hopefully we are accomplishing, um, being very accessible and being very open and being, you know, um, the organization that people can come to and talk to and like, and feel a part of. And um, my social media team is doing a phenomenal job of kind of reworking our strategy so that people have a better idea about what we're doing and what's going on. Because I feel like sustainability is still something that's just kind of like happening behind the curtain, but nobody really understands who's doing what. And so we're really working towards um, breaking that down and really making uh, people aware of what we're doing and what's going on behind the scenes and how we're you know going to accomplish the goals that we have. And feel like that they're involved and a part of it, even if they're not. Um, and the other part of this, of course, was kind of related to what I was talking about earlier with key futures and empowering people within institutions, because this is always the case. You have, you know, everyone cares. Like you're not going to, you're not going to find a cultural professional who's, who thinks that, you know, climate change is fake news. That's just not really a thing. Um, you may find some people that think that it's, it's not necessarily, as important for culture because we're such a small sector and we're such a small piece of the pie. That's a different discussion. Um, but you know, you always find the people that are incredibly, incredibly passionate about it. And that's, you know, more that that's the, that's the rule, not the exception. And that's really powerful, I think. But, you know, oftentimes I have people approach me and they say, you know, Caitlin, I am really passionate about making change in my institution, but my boss won't listen or my colleagues kind of aren't really that interested. So what do I do? And I think this is the first step to popping that bubble is this idea of 
getting engagement from the people who maybe aren't as engaged. And I think that that's what I'm hoping that key futures can accomplish. And I'll give you an example of how I, why this works. Um, you know, I, I'm obviously the crazy lady in the, in the, the workplace who's like hanging the energy saving stickers around the office and reminding everyone to turn their lights off and telling people to recycle this or to, you know, reuse that or don't use as much of this or whatever it is. So I'm always the kind of the, you know, thorn in everyone's side nagging them. And um, when I first started at the university of Amsterdam, when I was doing, I did my, I finished my master's there and did my doctorate there. Um, you know, I had colleagues who were kind of thought I was a little ridiculous and they were, I, I, you know, I I never got any eye rolls, but I got, I was teased. Um, I set up a glove recycling program for the disposable nitrile gloves that we use there. And so I had, you know, I had nicknames, I was glove girl and I was sustainability (laughs) buddy. And I was, you know, and I was known in the institution, like the Rijksmuseum conservators knew me. Oh, you're the girl with the gloves. And I'm just like, you know, hi, I'm Caitlin. (laughs) Um, but I had a, I had a reputation because I was the glove girl or I was the sustainability girl. Um, and you know, people kind of, it kind of teased me, but it was, it was amazing to me that like all of a sudden I started seeing these little changes. Um, you know, we would always go for our, our coffee or tea breaks and there was a coffee machine at the end of the hall and we'd go and we'd sit down and people would grab a, a paper cup and they would, you know, put their coffee in it and drink it and then throw it away. And I'm like, there's literally a glass cup or a ceramic cup right next to the paper one. Mm -hmm. Why are we using this one instead Mm -hmm. of this one? And so I kind of used to give people a lot of, a lot of uh, slack about it. And, and, Mm -hmm. and then I got a little bit of, you know, Oh, and blah, 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 doesn't matter. But it became a topic of conversation. Uh, because then all of a sudden, you know, people will be like, well, actually, Caitlin, is it more sustainable to use a paper cup? Because, you know, the glass cup, you have to wash it all the time and all that hot water. And, you know, the detergent you're using has surfactants in it, which is bad for the environment. And so then, I'll, you know, I noticed that this was becoming something that we were actually discussing and engaging with, whereas before it was just a habit. You never thought about it. And, um, and so then that builds awareness, of course. And, then later, I remember, you know, I'm the one who's always telling people to turn their lights off, as I said before. And we got up to go to lunch one day and I got up from my desk and I turned and I started walking and my colleague looked at me. She goes, Hey, Caitlin, you forgot to turn your light off. And I looked at her. I was like, yes, I did. Thank you. You are awesome. And, I was, and she was she's not, the, she's not like a sustainability person. No. At all. And she was reminding me and I was like, Oh my gosh, this is working. And so I went back and accomplished. I just, it felt so good. And then later I had another colleague that came up to me and he said, Hey, you know, Caitlin, we started recycling at home. And I was like, did you now? And he's like, yeah, you know, I thought, why not? And I was like, that's just, and it was, you know, it was this, yeah, it took some nagging and it took some time. Um, but just building that awareness, getting it, getting the thought planting seed into people's minds and it not only permeated throughout my entire program and all of my colleagues but also into their home lives and you know it was like if we just start thinking about it if we just start talking about it i mean i think it's it is vice president al gore always says the most important thing you can do to be sustainable is to talk about it um, you know, if, if it's something that's just sitting there in the back of your head throughout everything that you do, I, I truly believe that people are very happy to make the, I don't want to say right decision, but you know, the more sustainable choice, first of all, if they knew what it was. And second of all, if they're 
aware of it. You know, if they think about it, if it's like, you know, oh, right, of course, that's more sustainable. I'll do that. You know, it's it's just that little that little switch. It starts with uh, the awareness. Yes, I agree. Exactly. Absolutely. So I'm yeah. hoping that good communication and easy solutions will be the key to popping that bubble. Yes. <laughs> Great. Uh, talking about uh, Al Gore. Uh, we need to go a little bit back to climate reality. Um, and as I said before, this network is fantastic in the way that it really shows us how broad and multidisciplinary uh, we have to work Absolutely. in order to fix everything. <laughs> and the, and the, the people I have met through this network, uh, now counting more than 30,000 people, I think, wow. worldwide. Yeah. Yeah, and they are so diverse and work in so different sectors, all ages, all nationalities, very different cultures. Um, and you took the training this summer in 2000, no, yeah, last summer, 2020. I took it in 2019 and went back as a mentor this summer. What was the main reason that you wanted to do this uh, training? And, and what values did you take away from it? Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I have, I've been aware of the climate reality project for a long time and I've always wanted to do it. It's just never been something that was, um, I, I don't want to say accessible, but it was, you know, because the trains were always live and I was never in a location that I could do a training. And I actually had decided, and also because I was in school and all of these things, I couldn't take the time off. Um, but I had decided in 2020, there was going to be a training in North Carolina, which is where my parents live. And so I decided, you know what, I'm going to take a week off and I'm going to go do it. And so I already had my, I already, that was going to happen. And then of course, when COVID hit, they switched it over to digital and I was like, oh, well, that's even better. Um, so first of all, I think it was, it was really amazing because our cohort, we were the first digital, um, training session. And I think there was something like 10,000 people who participated. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was absolutely amazing. And, you know, for me, the reason I wanted to join, I mean, first of all, it's just about, you know, showing my support for this incredible project and seeing what I can do to help and how I can, how I can support what Vice President Al Gore is doing and all of the amazing people who are working with him. Um, and I just, I wanted to learn more. Um, so, cause you know, obviously like my job, my job, my training was in art conservation. So my sustainability stuff has all pretty much been self-taught. Um, mm. And, you know, so I wanted to get more, I wanted basically professional development out of it. And I think that I underestimated the value of the networking. The mm. networking there was absolutely the most important thing that I took away. I, yeah. like you, after my training, I went through and I just like, I think I emailed like a hundred people or something within the yeah. course of a week. And I was just like, hi, I'm Caitlin. Would love to hear about what you're doing. And I have never been to a conference or a symposium or a meeting or anything where people are more excited about connecting and helping each other. Um, yeah, I agree. I was just, I was overwhelmed at all of the response I got, you know, from really fancy, like important people who I never expected to respond. And they were like, oh my gosh, yes, let's talk. I'd love to hear about what you're doing. Um, I, you know, was able to get uh, a lot of support for key culture, um, via, you know, uh, expertise from different sectors. And I think that that's also the real advantage of the reality project is that you do have such diversity, um, not only globally, but as you said, from, from different, different, um, you know, fields. 
And I think that that is absolutely essential to success is, you know, being able to bring everyone together and, and work together. I mean, we are, I think partnerships, collaborations, cooperations, those are like the basis of key culture where I always say, you know, we never have, we don't have any competition. We only have partners. And I think that, you know, with sustainability, it's so important that we're all working together and that we're all supporting each other. And um, that's really the biggest takeaway that I've gotten is just the, the overwhelming support from that community and Mm. the overwhelming, you know, inspiration from all of the incredible projects. I mean, every time I talk to a climate reality leader and they tell me about what they're doing, I'm just like, wow. (laughs) Yes. Yes, away about how cool people are and how, you know, and I just always, I, every meeting I leave, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, we're going to make this work. Like, this is good. We're going to be okay. Like the world is not going to implode. <laughs> and it just, it just gives me so much hope and so much, um, so much inspiration. Yes. And, and that brings me actually to my next point there. I think we have talked a lot about it already, but your global work, you are like uh, what I see as a true global citizen, uh, lived in so many countries and uh, uh, working worldwide. Um, how, how do you think that, uh, or how to put it, why do you think it is so important to work globally now? And and what, if any, are the biggest challenges to to this? Yeah. Have you met any? And well, the biggest challenge is, is just time zones. Um, setting up, yeah. <laughs> setting up meetings with an international yeah. team like we have is very difficult. I mean, I had a meeting with my with my boards. I have an advisory board, an honorary board, and a supervisory board. And mm-hmm. um, one of my board members is in Hong Kong, and there's another one who is in um, Alberta, in Canada. And oh, yeah. that time zone difference is, yeah. I mean, poor Cecilia, she had to stay up until midnight to take this call and poor Bob had to get up at seven in the morning. Uh, um, yeah. But you know, they're, they're just absolute troopers and a huge shout out to both of them for being so wonderful and accommodating. But um, that's the biggest challenge is the time zone. Basically what we do is we just make sure that we have a little bit more flexibility with our, with our deadlines and with our expectations. So Mm. we know to plan in and like the day is 36 hours basically. So we know to plan in like, okay, if you need something done, don't expect it tomorrow, expect it Friday or whatever it is so that we just know to give people a little extra breathing room to accommodate time zones and to accommodate their other jobs and and lives and things. Cause as you, as I said, we are uh, mostly volunteers. Um, Mm. As far as the importance goes, I think I think that it's you know the world is smaller and smaller place every day, um, mm. and as you as you said before, you know everywhere I go, I meet people who are you know we're all the same. We all have the same want. We're we're all human, um, and I think that that's absolutely essential to sustainability because we need to see um, you know, not only how it's affecting people in different parts of the world, but also how people are dealing it with different parts in different parts of the world and what people's perspectives and ideas and solutions are. And, you know, the more that we can share with each other, the more that we can inspire each other. Um, you know, and for me, it's just really important that this is not a Western organization, that this is not a European organization, that this is not an American organization, that this is a global thing because, Sustainability is a global problem. It's a global issue and we need to tackle it together. 
And I think that that for me is why it's so important to have people from different parts of the world, because also, you know, as we talked about before with key futures, a lot of the issues that people face are local or regional issues. It's not, you know, you may find a very different situation in Portugal than you do in Mozambique and you have your own unique um, sets of sets of obstacles and you have your own unique way of approaching them. But at the same time, it's incredibly valuable to exchange that information so that we can learn from each other. Um, you may, you know, someone in Portugal may find out, Oh, in Mozambique, they use this material instead. And actually that's something that we can get, that we can acquire here. And it's much more sustainable. And that's a great idea. Uh, never thought about that. And, you know, because, yeah, I just think that as, as the world gets smaller and smaller, you know, with all of our capacities to meet digitally, I mean, you're in Norway, mm-hmm. I'm in the Netherlands, that's not that yeah. far, but it's still, you know, I couldn't just drive down to a coffee shop and have this interview with you. Um, you know, it's just, it's just essential that we, that we um, open up our ears to everyone and make sure that everyone is being heard and that sustainability doesn't stay in this kind of academic Western thing it needs to be um it needs to be not only understood but addressed by everyone everywhere and i think that that's why for me i want to make sure that we are as inclusive and diverse as possible mm. yes i couldn't agree more um i have seen you uh quite a lot or yeah a lot on social media it looks or it seems to me that you really enjoy what you do, oh. your work. Oh, I'm, Am I right? Oh, my gosh. Well, yeah. I mean, I I don't think you can work 12 to 14 hours a day unless you were incredibly passionate about it. <laughs> yeah, um, that's true. I do. I love yeah. it. I, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Um, you know, the key culture is my life. Um, I have my dog and then I have key culture. But it, it's, it's really – I am super passionate about it because – I think that not only is it something that's really needed, but it's something that um, can really make a difference. It's been interesting because, of course, with all of the stuff that's been going on between all of the different um, you know, climate disasters we've seen and all of the social unrest and stuff, sometimes I feel like I get anxious because I feel like I'm not doing enough. And then I kind of take a step back and I'm like, you know what, maybe this doesn't you know, change the policy of the United States government, which by the way, in a few days will change. So that's great. Um, (laughs) But I know this sector and I know that I'm the right person to help move it in the right direction because I understand its unique needs and its unique issues and why, you know, I know, I think I know why or how we can solve these. Um, But I just love what I do. And, you know, my team motivates me every day. I cannot tell you, like we have, we have team meetings once a month. We had, we had one last night and I just get to hear what everyone's doing and see everyone's face. And, you know, when you get 45 people from around the world on a call and hear about how they're excited to donate their time and energy to this and because they believe in it and they think it's important, that gets me out of bed every morning. I, I think it's a it's a key to fix all all the issues as well that people are doing something that they they actually enjoy doing. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think it, so too. No matter what sector you're working in, that you enjoy it, that you have more, um, yeah, 
you you get inspired and have energy to do the work. You know, it's it's amazing because that's actually really a trend that I've seen in the sustainability world. I know so everyone I've talked to that is involved with sustainability, they're doing it because they're passionate about it and they love it. And they're, you know, I have I have a lot of friends who have quit their jobs at, you know, cushy jobs at big corporations because they're just like, I want to do something that makes a difference. I want to do something that makes me happy. So they're, you know, going off and working for a nonprofit like me or starting their own thing and sustainable packaging or whatever it is. But you really see that in our sector. And I think that that's one of the really exciting things. And I'm sure you've seen this as well with all of our climate reality colleagues. There's so much positive, exciting energy. And it's just like, you know, it, it, is incredibly motivating, incredibly inspirational, but it, 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 you, we feed off of each other. I think, you know, every call I get on, I leave just feeling like, yes, all right, this is amazing. So excited. And it's just, you know, my passion is matched by the other person's passion and it's just, you know, fueling fire. And I just love that. So yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So, so this is stories for the future. So we have to have one question about the future. Um, you have you have told us uh, quite a bit about what you what's in store for key culture and yourself. Uh, is there any? Do you have any more plans to share, or something that you would like to share about? How do you? How does it look like for you the future for key culture? Oh wow! Well, um, I'm very ambitious. In case you didn't notice, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, have, I have all kinds of plans and exciting things that I want to do. Um, obviously, you know, we're going to be continuing key futures. Obviously, we've got future, future, and the whole idea is yeah. future thinking and future oriented. Um, you know, I my vision is that. Five years down the road, every institution in the world, you know, cultural institution, whether it's a museum or an archaeological site or an artist studio, has a key champions team and they're working through their key books and they're making, you know, great changes and they're getting, you know, the accolades for it through their accreditation and certification. Um, I want every institution in the world to have an exhibition about sustainability, whether it's climate change or the Amazonia or, you know, indigenous uh, perspectives on climate, whatever it is. Um, I envision a future that culture is really leading the way to, 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 to a sustainable future for everyone. Um, I think that culture has the capacity to inspire people in a way that sometimes facts and figures and scientific information can't. Um, creating that empathy and that understanding that then leads people to want to change. And I think that culture can do that. And I'm hoping that our sector can really not only be the inspiration for that in terms of education, but also be inspiration for that in terms of practicing what they preach and showing how it can be done. And, um, you know, I mean, key culture, we, I, I don't see, I think the sky's the limit. I, you know, we're, we're, everyone asks me, oh, well, what is your definition of culture? I'm not defining it because you know what? Right now we're primarily working with museums and, and artists, galleries and studios because that's my background. But I don't think that that's a limitation at all. You said earlier, you know, maybe some other uh, sectors would love to have a similar type yes. of program. I don't see why we couldn't, you know, partner up with someone in the, you know, in the sports sector, or whatever, and, and bring that there, you know, I, I think that there's, there's so much potential and opportunity. And I just hope that, um, 
you know, we can, uh, we can fulfill that. So yeah, yeah that's my hope. Sounds exciting. Yeah, <laughs> great. Uh, we're approaching the end, but I have one question yes. that I really want to ask you. Um, I was watching the other night the, the chaos in Washington oh, yeah. uh, DC. Uh, I guess you were as oh, well. Blue uh, TV, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it was quite surreal and hard to understand. Uh, and when I was like that and feeling that, and I guess also other Norwegians and other people around the world, I I always wonder how that feels uh, to see that as an American. Uh, so what were you thinking and what were you feeling when you saw the, the people, uh, yeah, the, the mob? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think like everyone else, shock. Um, you know, I haven't lived in the United States in 10 years, but of course I am American and I grew up there and it's still part of my identity. Um, and my parents are there and my brother is there and I have, you know, my friends are there. Um, and I think that, you know, it was, it, my mom kind of called it. <laughs> she was, she was, she was uh, very nervous when, uh, during the election, she was like, I mean, bag half packed, ready to move to Amsterdam. Cause she thought, okay, if Biden wins, the Trump people are going to freak out. And if Trump wins, the Biden people are going to freak out. So either way, we're in for a little bit of a, of a, a storm. Um, when, when I first heard about it, um, I, uh, my dad sent me a, a, a WhatsApp message. And it was a picture of an article that my grandfather wrote. Um, I think it was in the 1960s. And my grandfather, uh, my family is super political. So my grandfather worked at the Capitol and his first job there was as a, um, was as a, as, as press, he was a, a journalist. And then eventually he actually went into uh, working for different senators. He worked for Senator John F. Kennedy and then John F. Kennedy brought him into the White House and he was, uh, he was on the White House staff uh, under JFK and Linda B. Johnson. Um, so I have a very, a very political family. So obviously this is something that's very close. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And actually my dad was also in politics. He was the press secretary for Ted Kennedy when Ted Kennedy ran for president. Um, so we have, we have a very serious, I actually have a picture of um, JFK and Martin Luther King Jr. on the Capitol of the, uh, uh, after the, I have a dream speech and my grandfather's in that picture. Um, oh, wow. so, but anyway, so um, my grandfather was at the white, at the Capitol when the last shooting happened, which was in the 1960s. And I don't know if anyone knows that this happened. I, I didn't know. Um, and there was a journal entry from my grandfather about what it was like being inside the Capitol during a shooting. And, you know, he, he saw that one of the congressmen was injured and he ran over and he, gave an account of, you know, attending to this congressman and what he did. And, you know, he was the one who called the ambulance and, you know, and all of these things. And it was just, it was really, it made it even more real, I guess, because it was, it was super surreal. Mm. I mean, you see these images and it's like just a bunch of people standing in front of the Capitol, but then all of a sudden you hear that there are guns, you know, being fired yeah, and yeah. that there are people that are injured and, you know, people died and it's really, really horrifying. Um, but it's, you know, it, I think that seeing the recount of what happened in the 60s and my grandfather's experience kind of made me feel like I was inside there. And, I was like, and it, it's scary. Um, you know, it's, it's just, I, I guess I, I don't really have any kind of insights or things like any solutions or something. You know, I just, it makes me sad. Um, 
to be honest with you, I think, you know, the United States is so divided and it's, it's painful because it's not like they're bad people or something. It's no, people that are, no. that are frustrated and angry and feel like they are not heard. And this is something that I've noticed everywhere. People want to be heard. I, you know, when you, when you talk, you hope that someone listens to you and can empathize with you and can, you know, help. And I think that this is the problem is that people, you know, it's, it's become wedged and it's just being more and more wedged. And of course, Donald Trump incites that, you know, that separation even more so. And he, you know, kind of gets off on the chaos, I guess. Um, Mm. But, you know, it just, it just makes me sad that people aren't willing to listen to each other. And, you know, in the United States, you always avoid talking about politics or religion because it's considered impolite. But I think that that's, yeah. I think that that's a mistake. I think that we need to be talking about politics with each other because if we don't understand where the other people are coming from, then how are we ever going to get on the same page? And I think, you know, if people felt like they were being listened to, then this anger would go away. And I'm really hoping, I mean, I think, I think Biden is very even keeled. I think he's very, you know, he's very calm and I think that's helpful. Um, it's my hope that, you know, we can find some way as a country to listen to each other and to stop saying, oh, that person's a Republican, therefore they're a bad person, or that person's a, you know, crazy liberal, therefore they're insane. And like, you know, it's so black and white. And I think that this is not only something that is true with politics, but I think this is something that's true with a lot of things, including sustainability. Um, You know, I get a lot of slack for uh, flying around the world doing, you know, whatever it is that I'm doing. Usually it's attending conferences or giving workshops on sustainability or presentations. Um, And people are like, oh, Caitlin, you think you're so sustainable, but you're, you know, flying to Brazil this week and then Japan next week. Like, you know, your carbon footprint is horrible for all your flights. And I'm like, yeah, it, it's that's it's something that weighs on me. And I'm transparent about my carbon footprint with my air travel. Um, you know, I offset everything that I can. I'm looking into, you know, how to better do that. Um, I'm hoping that they'll create, you know, biofuel soon so that we can I can feel yeah. guilty about it. But I haven't owned a car in 10 years. Um, I don't have kids. Um, you know, I get, I have two bikes and I get around, I live in Amsterdam, so I'm lucky that I can do that. Um, but you know, I, and, and I'm hoping that the impact that I have for traveling to, you know, uh, Japan to give a workshop on sustainability will outweigh the carbon footprint it took me to get there. Um, but I'm, I'm conscientious of it. I'm aware of it. And I think that this is one of the things that we're facing also, you know, circling back to um, in, in the United States is that it's black and white. You're Republican or you're Democrat. You're liberal or you're conservative. And it's so funny because if you talk to people so many times, like I grew up in Colorado and I grew, you know, Colorado has its pockets of very liberal areas, but I grew up in a very conservative area. I was one of like five Democrats in my, in my high school. And, um, I remember we we were I had an ethics class and uh or no it was an economics class actually. And anyway, we were we were she was talking about politics and she had us all stand up and she said, Okay, and she just went through issues and she didn't make she didn't say it was about politics, she didn't say anything, she just said, you know, okay guys, if you think that marijuana should be le- should be legalized, move to the right. We all moved over to the right. Okay, guys, if you think that gay marriage should be legal, stay in the right. We all stayed in the right. 
okay, guys, if you think that, you know, this and that, and they, she went on and most people agreed on most of the issues. And then she said, okay, if you're a Republican, move to the left. If you're a Democrat, stay on the right. And it was just like this, you know, everyone separated. And it was like, we all agree on the basic principles. And I think that so many times, you know, it comes down to, to finance as well. And I think that this is kind of ingrained in American society is that, you know, you've got this idea that you don't take my money and you've got this, um, you know, you it's because it's a two party system. It's a lot of people that I know that were conservative in the place I grew up. They said, well, I am um, socially liberal, but fiscally conservative, meaning that I don't hate people and I'm not mad about, you know, gay marriage or black lives matter or whatever. I mean, they kind of like, you know, a little flippant about it, maybe, but they said, but I'm fiscally conservative. And so that's the way I vote. And so they identified with the Republican Party because that is the quote unquote fiscally conservative party. And so it's, it's, I think we have issues here that because it's a two party system, because people have to make that black and white decision, it just drives a wedge further and further. And then of course we have a situation where people just don't feel like they're listened to their grievance. You know, people are having a hard time um, with COVID, with, you know, the economy, with, uh, you know, rural American farmers um, and people just don't feel like they're listened to. And I think that that's, that's the last of it. And I think that, you know, the people who were storming the, the Capitol, they don't feel like they've been heard and they're angry and um, it saddens me, but I, I hope that we can find a way that people can actually start having conversations where they have a space to talk and they have a space to be heard. Finding, finding common grounds, uh, I guess is the, yeah. But but do you see that it's, do you see it as fixable in the near, near future? You know, this is something that I have thought a lot about because I I actually wanted to go into politics when I was younger, having my family background as it was. When Donald Trump was elected, I was like, okay, I'm quitting and I'm moving back to the States. So I'm getting back into politics. I mean, that was literally my first thought. Um, But I don't, I, I don't know. I just don't know. I mean, I, I, I hope so. I think it kind of has to be, um, but I don't know that it's something that is going to be able to come from the government. I don't think that the government can go in and fix it because I think people have such a distaste and strong opinions and it's so polarized. I think that it's going to have to come in a more creative way. And I'm not quite sure what that is. I'm hope you know, my, my idea of course, is that we can use culture to help people. You know, I'm hoping that people can start finding space for for safe conversations and dialogue at their local museum and that, you know, we can start um, educating people about different points of view through culture. And so that we can see that, you know, we're we are all alike. We all have just because I'm a conservative and I'm a you know Democrat or whatever it is. I still have the same values. I care about my family. I, I want to, you know, be able to provide for them. I want to be able to have a, a good life for myself. Um, you know, we're all human. And I think that, I think that that's really lost. I think that people don't look at each other and see another human being. I think that they see a label and I think that that's, that's really sad. So I hope so. I mean, I think Maybe ask me again next year, and I'll I'll come up with yeah. a solution for it. <laughs> um, I'll remember yeah. that. <laughs> it's been so great to speak to you today. Uh, as always, uh, we must repeat this at a, a later stage next year, perhaps. Then we can absolutely. <laughs> so, but uh, finally, um, 
social media website uh, where do people find you because i think it's really important that people find you well, thank you yes please uh follow us everywhere our website is uh keyculture.org we just launched our new website it's really phenomenal a huge shout out to my amazing website team um and uh social media follow us we're everywhere we're on linkedin we're on we don't have time we're on twitter we're on facebook um twitter is the only one that's different that one's at culture key everything else is key culture um we are also ki just uh just to clarify that yes, yes. Have, just just say that 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 means key like the exactly key, it's like a, a key for your door for your car but it's spelled ki and actually key is the sumerian earth goddess and uh-huh. it's also the root of the word chi which of course is the is the human energy in the eastern languages so it's yeah. all these little connections to yeah good to, to know the yeah. the background <laughs> of the word yeah, yeah, so that's right. what key is, I, but. <laughs> yeah yeah so thank you uh, it's uh, i will link to all the all the places in the show notes yes please so uh, but thank you again and Good luck with all the great work that you're doing. Amazing. Well, thank you. Uh, I will pay attention and follow you uh, as you continue. Wonderful. Well, thank so, you so much. It's been such a huge pleasure. And uh, yeah, really uh, looking forward to speaking with you again. And uh, hope, you know, if anyone has any questions or anything, please reach out. I'm always free to uh, to chat. So looking forward to hearing yeah. your responses. But yeah, follow us on social media, check out our website and download the key books. Those are, they're available for yes. everyone. And maybe you'll find some inspiration in there that's good for your sector as well. So hopefully, uh, hope that's a good idea. did you stay till the end i really hope so talking to caitlin made me feel optimistic and inspired and exactly as she said it left me with a feeling that we are actually going to be all right the world is not going to implode you can find all the links and things in the show notes and please If you know a person or two that you think could get some value from this episode, please share it. That is how we get all the great stories out into the world. Next time, we will go offshore and subsea. I can't wait. Talk to you soon.